Hello, and welcome to a new episode of From the Honeycomb, a podcast that creates a spark of positive energy. Here we discuss all things architecture and design, to travel, exploring Vastu Shastra with a modern approach, and I connect with other like-minded women to share their story. I am your host, Katerina Burianova, and welcome to From the Honeycomb. Today, I am joined by licensed architect and host of the Architect Tech podcast, Caitlin Brady. Through her podcast, Caitlin has created a community of inspiring women in the field of architecture, design, and construction, who have now shared their stories. Caitlin, welcome to From the Honeycomb podcast. I'm excited to hear your story. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to share it. And as you know, we begin every episode by sharing something that we are grateful for in the present moment. And so what are you grateful for? Well, I'm grateful to be here, so I'm excited for our conversation, but I'm also grateful this week, my partner and I, we've been nomadic for the last year, and we are finally moving into an apartment. We have a year-long lease, so I'm very excited for that stability after a year of adventures. Oh, that's exciting. That's exciting. And feeling grounded probably as well, too, I'm sure. Exactly. It'll be nice to have a home again and not go Airbnb to Airbnb. Well, I'm sure there's stories from those trips too, mm-hmm. from those travels. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Caitlin, I am excited to have you on the podcast because you also have a podcast and I love listening to kind of your background, but for my listeners, can you share your architecture journey? Sure. So I guess people are always like, I always wanted to be an architect. I played with Legos as a child. I basically did the same. I had dolls growing up. I would spend more time building homes for them rather than changing their clothes or doing their hair. My mom would run to our Costco and she would just drop me off in the box section and I would pick through the used boxes and come home and then build things with them. And just everything in my childhood. I love HGTV when I got a little bit older. I lived in a cul-de-sac growing up, so we would master plan in the cul-de-sac with chalk basically every day in the summer and then hope for rain so that we could start over the next day and just drawing streets and homes and all of that. So a lot of aspects of my childhood kind of led me towards becoming an architect. And then I considered interior design, but ultimately I ended up in architecture and I went to Drexel University in Philadelphia. And that is a, it's a unique program. So it's a two plus four. So for two years, I went to school full time. And then for four years, I worked full time and I completed my studies with night classes. And the way that program is set up, it's not really an internship or a co-op. It's a full-time job. So I had, after my second year of school, I had a 401k, I had benefits, everything through my employer. And I had to go out before I got that job and actually, you know, interview places and send my resume in and do all of that. So by the time I graduated, I had a ton of full-time real world experience working in architecture firms. I had worked in two firms while I was in school, like a global firm. So I did master planning in China and I did laboratories in the US and in Saudi Arabia. So worked on a lot of very large scale science and tech projects. And then I went to a smaller firm and I worked in exhibit design and play structures and classrooms, like at K to 12 schools, and kind of did a whole different other world of projects too. So by the time I graduated, I had already accrued all of my IDP hours at the time. I was able to sit and within a year, 
got all of my AREs done and then was licensed. And wow. then I went to California and I worked for a firm and I did mostly corporate projects there. And then recently I moved while well, we did it a year, as I mentioned, a year of nomadic work, but I'm working for a firm based in DC now on working in higher education. And I was able to work, I was hired as a remote employee. So my partner works in tech. So we were able to travel for a year and live in different places. And now we're finally settling back in DC. Wow. That's amazing. And I actually applied to Drexel University. Okay. And I didn't end up visiting the campus, but it's so funny that you mentioned that two plus four, because I don't think when I applied there for architecture school, I knew about that. I just kind of applied to a bunch of architecture schools. So it's really interesting hearing that route that you took is the two plus four and that you were able to get so much experience right away through just your internships and being able to work. That's incredible. Do you think that helped you prepare for your exams better than had you just been in school? Oh, certainly. I actually, Drexel wasn't my top choice. I wanted to go to Carnegie Mellon very badly. And I just, no reason aside from I just really loved it. I was excited Mm -hmm. about Pittsburgh. And when I applied to schools, I applied to seven architecture schools, a variety of programs, and I got into all seven. And we did the Accepted Students Day. My parents and I went to Accepted Students Day at Carnegie Mm -hmm. Mellon. We were sitting in the lecture where they have the professors talk about the program and they have students come up and tell about their experiences. And someone had asked out of all of the graduates of last year's program, how many of them have jobs? And I think at the time out of maybe 56 graduates, they said two of them had full-time jobs. Oh my gosh. I remember my mom looking at me and going like, she like moved her hand, like absolutely not because it was a very expensive program. Didn't get a lot of financial aid from Carnegie Mellon at the time. And so I would have been committing to a huge financial number Mm -hmm. and it just, it didn't really pan out. I also got into Cornell and was like, oh my gosh, I never really thought I'd be going there. (laughs) And then I got in and they gave me like $2,000 off a year. I'm like, okay, that's not really financially worth it either. So Drexel, I ended up getting a lot of scholarships to Drexel. It was local. The tuition was actually a reduced rate once it transformed into the night program and you were only paying per credit. So it was a really affordable program. I was able to, I had help from my family. I had tuition reimbursement from my employer at the time. And then I was able to graduate with no student debt, which Wow. In the long run, it has been very, very helpful. Obviously, Mm -hmm. I come from like a privileged position that I was able to come in with help. And I had been working summers before to save that money for college. But it ended up being a really great decision to graduate with all that experience, but also no debt, too, because that's given me. Oh, yeah. It's been very helpful. (laughs) No, of course. Of course, because it is, is when you talk about architecture school, you never hear of just a four-year program. It's that five to six years. So it's great that you were able to have that opportunity and such a great program. And I've been asking this a few architects lately for how is your university experience? Did that help you for the ARE exams? Yes. I think it was great to... We had studio classes. We had mm-hmm. a, a couple like HVAC or lighting or different engineering classes paired in. If I wasn't going to work every day at the same time as those classes, I don't think that information would have stuck as well. So I was working on projects where we were talking about accessibility. I was looking up the code. And instead of just looking it up abstractly of, oh, I'm applying this random code to my studio project. I was applying it to my actual project and I had to make sure that it was right because we were submitting it to a city for review. 
So I was able to, that, I think that information really stuck with me a lot more because I was able to apply it directly to my studies, to the work I was doing. And then it was a big refresher once again, once I was studying all that material again in the ARES where I could go, oh, I worked on this project and whatever I studied, I could apply it to things I had already seen in the field. And I worked on commercial projects largely with a, like a few residential in there. So I think that also helped me too, because the ARES cover both residential and commercial projects. But I think if you only have experience in one or the other, sometimes there's a knowledge gap about mm-hmm. the area that you didn't work in. No, absolutely. For me, that's commercial. I have very limited experience with commercial. So for me, like even like the curtain walls, some of the detailing of the CMU blocks, like concrete details for me are just where I learned about them in ARE. And it's so great for studying for the ARES. And it's great you brought up too is that you were able to, while you were at school learning about like HVAC systems or electrical, immediately being able to apply it. Because I remember coming out of architecture school, my first job, and we spent an afternoon with a coworker laying out the HVAC system in one of the buildings we were designing. And in that afternoon, I felt like I learned a semester's worth of information. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's great that you were able to really link the two right away from the beginning and really just build your knowledge base off of like from the beginning. Yeah, it was very helpful. And Drexel's program is, I think it leans more on the technical side of things, where there is an artistic flair, we're doing creative work. But once you get into the later years of the program, you know, you have your design stages, and then there's a checklist that the professors want to see. Are you considering, you know, daylighting or HVAC systems or orientation? And then there's different levels on top of that of we're layering on those real world elements, especially like we were doing a lot of wall sections. I remember my first wall section, it was totally meaningless. I had no idea what I was doing. But then after I did a couple more in studio projects, I was like, okay, now this is making more sense. Like, you know, the organization of the vapor barriers of the insulation, Mm -hmm. I kind of had a feeling of where that goes. And then seeing that in work too, I'm like, okay, now it's not just a thick wall to me. It's many layers combined and it, it has more meaning after you see it a few times. No, absolutely. And I'm sure you were exposed to site visits too, because that's my one of my favorite things about what, what we do as architects is being able to go see our 2D drawings or 3D renderings come to life and be built. So I'm sure you were exposed to a lot of site visits early on, which I can't imagine how much knowledge you got from those. Yes. My first project, it was very cool to see just what you draw and then, oh, these lines have meaning and this is what they ended up being. I was like, oh my gosh, I need to be a little bit more careful because... You just kind of are like, okay, I just drew it this way. And then when you actually walk the field, oh, that dashed line means that there's a soffit overhead. So mm-hmm. I need to make sure I'm, I'm tracking that information. But my first firm too, a lot of our work was international. So mm-hmm. I did get to go on a few sites. We were working for some local universities, but largely a lot of that was abroad. And that was one of the big reasons why I ended up changing jobs because I loved mm-hmm. working at that larger scale. And I worked with really, really talented people at that first firm I was at. But the second firm was great because we did a lot more local work. So I was able to go a lot more often on site, see the projects, and then you're talking more with the owners and you get to hear their perspective. You're talking with the contractors. You learn a ton if you have good relationships with the contractors because they'll tell you things too, like you drew this, I didn't like that detail, or Mm -hmm. this, we don't really do it that way. Or, and and you kind of like, oh, okay, I need to be more specific about this or based on our budget, I can't draw this very, very high end detail. I learned this on one project where we had a light fixture that just needed, that was recessed in like a very particular way. And Mm -hmm. the contractor was basically like, listen, 
this is not a high end job. This is like a medium level job. And our guys are not talented enough, nor do they have the time nor the budget to make this look like how you detailed it. So you have to detail for basically the budget of the project. So I was like, oh, that's actually good to know because it looked the de- it didn't come out exactly how I hoped because we just didn't have that that time or budget to put into that. So I was like, okay, I need to redraw that and make it look clean with the skill that we have. Yeah. And you bring up a great point about really the end user of our plans and drawings is always the contractor and the relationship which we have with them is really, really important. So I love that you keep that in mind because there are so many architects who I think let the ego kind of take over and like just, oh, I need to design it this way, like just make it work. But the fact that I really like that you listen to the contractor, you're listening. I mean, I have to speak up for con- my husband's a contractor. Okay. So, <laughs> so that's where the relationship comes in. But But even just hearing his experience working with different architects, and it's just makes the relationship and the project so much more when you're listening to each other and you're communicating and like you're learning, you know, Mm -hmm. now if you draw it a certain way or the idea wasn't explained as well through the drawings as you had hoped, it's great that you're also getting that feedback. Oh, yeah. Having a great relationship with your contractor can change a project. I worked with a really great team during the pandemic. We did a design build project. And the pandemic had so many curveballs. It threw so many curveballs into the construction process. And we just had such a great relationship where the contract, he would call and go, listen, this is an issue. We're having supply chain issues or labor issues, whatever it was. How can we work to solve it? And then we were able to redesign on the fly or rethink different details or rethink kind of the process of construction or how we needed to sequence things. And that was the best. And I've worked on other projects where the the contractor doesn't want to talk to you. There's maybe like a a strange relationship there. It's a little bit strained Mm -hmm. and it's like us versus them. Things go so much better when we're a team and we work together and we have a good relationship because ultimately we want to get it built and we want to get it built well on time and within everyone's budget. No, absolutely. And I want to ask about your experience as a female on working with contractors because it's always interesting. We're similar young females. When we show up on a job site, sometimes we're not taken as seriously or it's, you know, just the we're looked at differently. And so what has been your experience working with contractors? So, so far it sounds like very good experiences, but as well as with other, you know, consultants, subcontractors. Mm-hmm. I think I have always been one girl in a situation of guys, especially in architecture school. I've been on different teams where I'm the only female. So I just give it right back to them. If they're given attitude then or, you know, playing around or making jokes, then I will just kind of slip right in and be part of that. You know, sometimes they're like, oh, there's a lady in the room. You know, we're going to have to not say that. And then I'll, you know, make a joke back or I'll make a joke about one of the guys like, oh, yeah, Tom, you know, is easily offended. We got to watch for him or something like that, where it's like, okay, I'm one of them. Treat You don't have to treat me any differently. I think just being cool like that makes them respect you. And then you also have to know what you're doing too. So I never feign, like I know everything. Uh, If I have a question or if I don't know the answer to a question that's been asked of me, I go, actually, I don't know that, but I can find the answer to that. I can, I know who to ask or I'll look that up. And I think just having that honesty of not putting on airs of, I am the architect and, you know, this is my project. Mm -hmm. You have to just come in there with realism and then they respect you for that. Because yeah, like I said, we're a team working on this. It's not me versus them. And I think that just makes you fit in a little bit better. 
No, that's great advice. I'm just thinking, yeah, that's that was a nice reminder. Thank you. Because I know I've been coming on now that I, so I officially work under my own license at my, I have my own firm. Yeah, and so that also, oh, thank you. Thank you. It's been, it's been a huge, huge change, huge transition, but I'm super excited about it. And it has definitely changed how I approach job sites or contractors. I'm working, thankfully, my first project right away is an amazing contractor who's really sweet and is very knowledgeable and I can trust. So that's been really nice. I know I can ask him questions. And then of course, having my husband as a contractor has been very helpful because I'll just be like, Hey, you know, what do you think about this? Or what's, how should I ask? But going back to your experience as a woman, and I want to ask about your podcast because it is very female based, female driven. <laughs> only female so based. Yeah. Only female, <laughs> really only female based, yeah. which my podcast was for a little bit until I had Ben Norkin from Hyperfine on. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm very, very female um, orientated as well. But tell me about your podcast and like, where was that spark for that idea to have your podcast? Yeah. So my podcast is called Architectette and it's recently new. It kind of came about because I started at my new firm, which I'm working right now, totally remotely. And so for the first couple months, I worked with a small team. My firm has over, I think, over 200 people at it right now. But I was working on a small team, so I was really only talking with those folks on a day-to-day basis about our project. And because we're such a big firm, I was thinking that I'm missing the opportunity to get to know a lot more people. And I feel like when you're in person, you interact with people more organically or you sit next to other people. And I wasn't getting that or that interaction that I would have had if I was going into the office and running into people outside of my project team. So I started scheduling 30 minute calls with people at the firm. I would just scroll on our internet or people would refer other people and I go, Hey, I'm, you seem like you're doing really cool work or you're an expert in this, or you're, I've heard you're working on this project. I would love to just meet you hear about how you came to the firm or what you're working on here. And then, you know, then we have like a relationship. And I was just interested, just genuinely interested in getting to know people that way. So I met with, I think it's slowed down a bit because my project work has been kind of busy lately, but I've, I've done like over 60 of those little 30 minute interviews in the last year. So I was really working my way through, but, and, and then I started to see a lot of patterns of, My firm has a history of offering remote work before the pandemic, which is really great. And I think that a lot of women at the time of like having kids, things, schedules change and the ability to work full time, sometimes that shifts for a woman or for a family. But I I noticed this a lot with the women. So I just thought it was interesting that I was starting to see kind of patterns come up. And then, you know, I read that women are graduating at equal rates from men from architecture schools very generally. And then they only make up, I think it's about like 20% of leadership roles in the industry. So at some point we go from 50% and then leadership goes down to 20%. And I think that this like mid-career challenge happens where maybe there's a family involved or just life obligations get a little bit more hectic and women fall out of the industry. No, that's so true. Yeah. And I, you know, for many reasons they fall out, but I wanted to kind of hear from people's stories of like, how did they navigate that time? Did their career slow down? Did they get through it? And I was starting to talk to women and I felt like I was really benefiting from these stories. And because I was remote and traveling nomadically, I couldn't join my local women in architecture chapter or an AIA chapter because we were moving cities every month. So I thought it would be great to have some type of interview where 
anyone can listen. Anyone can benefit from this like mentorship of someone who is kicking butt in the profession in various fields. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to interview people. I really love these interviews I'm doing. Maybe I'll record them. I was, of course, worried about my voice and like recording myself. And (laughs) that took me a while to get over it. But I was like, you know, if I just release the audio, I think it will be, it'll work out. And I benefit so much from these conversations with women. And I thought that other people could too. So I interview women in architecture and then also people who have both gone through architecture are still architects. And then people who have gone through architecture and maybe veered off to planning or PR or landscape architecture, something like that, or they're also in an adjacent field. So maybe a woman that you or I would reach out to, to collaborate on a project with. So there's an episode coming up. She's a landscape architect. We had worked together at a previous firm. I've interviewed women that I knew through in Philadelphia that are founders of a firm. I interviewed former coworkers. So I think at this time we have 12 or 13 released episodes. And then I have a whole bunch more that I've recorded. It just takes a long time to edit. (laughs) So that's the only thing that slows me down. Otherwise, I'd be releasing them every week. But episodes come out every two weeks. And then they're on, you know, all the platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that. Uh, And it's really just a short conversation to cover who they are, where they've been, and their experience in the industry. And we cover all sorts of things. Sometimes some random things come out. I hear some random stories. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll edit that out. That was a little too juicy. Or, <laughs> And sometimes it's more advice focused. Sometimes it's more experience focused. But I hope that people can tune in and feel like they're getting that mentorship, if, especially if they don't have that where they're currently working or they just, they're not in that environment. Hopefully they feel encouraged by this outside source. No, I love that you're doing that because, well, first I want to go back to the statistic that you mentioned, and it made me think about my graduating class of male and female. And we had actually more females, I think, by maybe like 55%, not 60, but we were well over 50. And then ever since then, every place I've worked is all male. It's only male. So so I saw all the females during my internships in school and then at school. And then now it has been so male dominated. And similarly, this, my podcast has come out from me wanting to get to know other women. And it is a great platform. You can have these conversations. And I love that you've created that space too, as well for mentorship, because I just thought of this now too, is now that I'm alone working for myself, I don't have, I can't even like turn around and ask a coworker, hey, like, you know, how would you do this? Yeah. And so it's like, and there's so many people who are working remotely now or for themselves or just, you know, that you've really created this platform to, it is, it's a mentorship and it's, I love that you're, and it's amazing, I'm sure how many stories you've heard and everybody's stories are so different. Like the storytelling, it's one of the reasons I love my podcast and I was excited to have you on and hear your story because I was like, I really want to ask her like what her experience is because you mentioned, yeah, first we are kind of the, not the majority, but we're 50%. And then why do we dwindle? And so in, in the numbers, so it's definitely an interesting case study and I'm, I'm glad that you've created that platform. It was really interesting to hear at my very first job, I worked with a woman named Eva Baker and she was, Mm -hmm. I forget what episode she was, but I I interviewed her. She's a lab planner and an architect. And I remember working my first job and looking up to her and going like, holy cow, this lady is kicking butt. I'm so impressed by her. She was just top, top of the line for everything she did. I learned so much from her and I absorbed so much from just working under her guidance. And so it was great to go back and have that conversation with her. 
when I worked with her, it was interesting to see. I, I worked with her before she had a child, and then she got pregnant while we were there, went out on maternity leave, came back. And so I, it was interesting to see that process. And looking at it from the outside, it's like, okay, whatever, she's back, working full-time, nothing's changed. But then when I interviewed her, it was so interesting to hear her perspective of like, she is a top-notch worker. And she even said herself, she's like, I didn't expect it to be so hard coming back. Mm. And she's like, just coming off maternity leave, coming back. She's like, I feel like my career stalled for maybe two years. And she said also too, that she also graduated equal like 50-50 men and women. And then she said, once all of her friends started having kids, that's when she saw people drop out. Because at first she was like, oh, I'm the first generation that's going to be 50-50 all the way through. And then when she got to mid-career, she went, oh my gosh, I am one of few still standing. So it might not be a generational thing, I've also, I interviewed one of the first female graduates of the, I think it was Princeton Architectural School. And so it was all men. And then, you know, one of the first classes to have women graduate through the architecture program. And, you know, you would think in that time, okay, now, you know, it's not quite 50-50 and, and those people stay through the career. But even now, even if that were 50-50 or more than 50-50, that mid-career still gets a lot of people out of the profession. So I'm interested to see how remote work and the potential for hybrid work, maybe that is mm -hmm. able to keep more women working for architecture firms on the path of career progression. And I'd love to see more women in leadership roles. So I'm very biased, but I am very, very committed to this uh, <laughs> to this effort and just, just spreading knowledge and, and extending a network of women that are in all levels of this industry. No, so true. And I had uh, Bryn Young on from Being Design, and we were talking about entrepreneurship and how that has kind of helped her as a mother because she's all of a sudden in charge of her own hours. And that was also, I mean, I've wanted to have my own firm since I started architecture, but for me, now we're family planning. And I can't imagine having to take off X amount of weeks and then coming back in. And I mean, already earlier this year, the place I used to work at, my boss was already having conversations with me about, he's like, so are you guys family planning? Because we're a small firm. Mm -hmm. How do I schedule out in the future for projects if you're not going to be here for X amount of months? Mm -hmm. And I remember having those conversations. I was like, oh, well, first off, I mean, where's the HR department? That was I know, which thing. is like so illegal <laughs> to ask that. <laughs> Mm -hmm. It is. It is. I mean, my boss, he is 82. So totally different generation. Yeah. Still, so, still but illegal. <laughs> still, still illegal. No, I know. And it's those conversations. It's and of that was like this year was that seed was planted where I was like, wow, I really need to figure out what the plan is. And that's why just I pushed more this year for entrepreneurship as well, because now and I've actually met a woman through Ben from Hyperfine, I do some drafting work for her. And she's kind of taken me under her wing. And she kind of started her career similar to me, has a family, had a kid. And so I know like that'll be interesting to see for me how my journey shifts once we have a child. And it is interesting how sometimes entrepreneur, just having your own firm and being able to work on your own schedule is a benefit rather than staying at a firm but there are so many of us or so many architect, female architects who want to stay at a firm. And so it's interesting to see kind of how, I wonder if there could be a, like a comparison to see for the woman working for themselves versus women in firms and how long they'll last as well. Because now even I'm thinking if I sign a project and hypothetically I'm pregnant right now, where am I in nine months? And it's this interesting kind of time clock 
that you start thinking about not just, oh, when am I going to submit zoning plans? When am I going to submit construction documents? When are we going to be able to pull a permit? There is like another time we have in the back of our heads, in the back of our minds. Yeah. It's a shame that that flexibility isn't standard in architecture firms. You would think that because they have so many more resources, they could maybe offer that flexibility. But I think I've heard from a lot of women. It's, oh, I, I had a kid. And during that time, that's when I started my own firm. So that's something definitely it, as an architect, you're like, oh, maybe I start my own firm. I think all of us have that thought at one point, mm -hmm. but I'm at a, a larger firm right now and I love just the structure of it. I love the organization. I love the, we have, you know, different departments that do different things. We have interior design department. We have rendering department. Uh, there's just so many resources that I absolutely love. And I think that it's just like a, a charged kind of learning environment where, everyone is an expert and then we all come together and push these great projects out. So I would hope I am not doing any family planning right now. And that is probably far <laughs> in the future for, or I'm, I'm family planning to punt that down the road, but it's definitely something that I see a lot of women, they have to grapple with that choice. And, you know, in the future, I, I think, oh my gosh, it's so tough. Cause you, you work so hard to go to architecture school, you know, you're staying up all night and, and putting in so much love and, and growth into learning about architecture and working on these projects. And then your whole life is architecture and you go on vacations and you look at buildings and you're, you're sketching and you're, you buy one of those tiny watercolor kits and you're, you're trying yep. to watercolor on vacation. <laughs> and then you get a job and you're working so much and you study for the ARES and that takes away your social life because you're putting so much into all these exams over and over again, taking, I think we're six right now in the ARE fives mm -hmm. and it's just so much work. And then then it's like, oh, if you have a kid, like maybe you just put all that on hold. And it's it's definitely, it's it's kind of tricky as a professional and then potentially like a parent. How do you pair all of that together? Because it seems like you have to pick one or the other. Mm -hmm. But I know that's that's not the case for a lot of people. And so then you have to balance both. I think there was a quote by some director of TV shows who was saying that if she is succeeding as a director producer, then she's failing as a mom at that point. And when she's succeeding as a mom, then she's failing as a director producer. So it's hard to give 100% to everything in your life. And that's a huge challenge because architecture takes up so much time and effort. So to offer that flexibility, I think would be great. So I think more firms should offer <laughs> more flexibility. <laughs> no, for sure. And we are in such a field that, you know, even thinking about like the 40 hour work weeks and just our projects and there's different phases and like there are weeks that are heavier with workloads and less and like offering even that flexibility of, of time as well. I mean, my firm, we, one fun thing I like to say is we have nap time. That's our flexible. So my boss lets me have nap time. That's the flexibility here. And what's interesting is I've been working for myself for a month now and knowing in the back of my mind that if I need to take a nap, it's there for me. I haven't had to take a nap in the middle of the workday. But had I been at my old firm, I could tell you every day I would love a nap after lunch, just a 30-minute power nap, just to kind of reset, regroup. And so it's been an interesting lesson to understand that if I know I have the opportunity to do it or I have that benefit, I don't necessarily feel like I need to take it and I can just kind of keep pushing through the day. It's been very interesting to notice that. So I think probably your motivation too is you're working for yourself. You're building something for yourself rather than building something to get a paycheck, which yeah, I'm sure 
we all put our heart into our projects that we work on. But I can imagine if you open up your own firm, stakes are so much higher. It's like, okay, I, I have to put everything into this so that it's successful. Yeah, no, it, it definitely feels like that. And that's a whole nother episode, <laughs> which we can talk about even just this first month and how it's been. But the flexibility of of time is something that I think even coming from COVID, we value time so much more and what we do with our time. And there are so many efficient ways. And so it's interesting to hear that you work at such a big firm. And I'm sure you guys have standards and ways to do things, which must make things super efficient, I would assume. Oh, yeah. There's no need to reinvent the wheel for a lot of standard details and things. I think I was listening to some of your episodes earlier this week, and someone was saying, I think it may have been the well, well whatever i was listening to one of the, one of the episodes and they were saying that the, it took them like a year or two to develop standard details and that's something where it's i benefit so much from my firm having just a library of the standard details cuz then you pull all the boilerplate things and you go okay now i'm going to adapt everything for the project and you really get to know those standard details of okay this is this this will work and then how do i make it special in particular to this project. And you can build off of that and add and change and do all of that. But it saves a lot of time. I think that's so helpful. And just the knowledge too. I love talking to people. I love asking questions. I'm always like, you know, I, I understand this, but I, I think I could understand it more. So let me pull in our code expert. We can dive in. So having that as a resource is, is nice. No, absolutely. I mean, I can't, yeah, I've never worked at such a large firm. So what is that the largest firm you've ever worked for? Is no. the one you work for now? No, no the first oh firm I worked gosh. at was one of like the big global firms. Mm-hmm. With so like we multiple had, offices everywhere. Oh, yeah. So the office wow. I worked for in Philadelphia was actually, I think it was a three office firm and they were acquired by okay. this global firm. And so okay. there was architects and engineers. It was an AE firm. So it was actually, okay. I really loved that too because I could, I just had to go down one floor in the building and I could talk to the plumbing engineer, the fire protection or landscape, civil, all of those team members were right there. So when we had to work through a problem, again, like I was saying, it's so essential to be collaborative. But that was great because we all knew where the project was going. It's like, okay, this is our design. We're trying to accomplish this. And then we could talk about limitations or needs of those engineers. And it was all in-house. So we were all on the same team. That's interesting. You also brought up you were working on a design build and you're the first architect I've had on who has experience in design build. So you've worked for like design bid build, correct? Like we're, and then design build, which one do you like better? Oh man, it really depends. Yeah. Which is not a great answer. Sorry. (laughs) The design build project we worked on, we were actually a consultant to larger firm that had both a design team with engineers and then they had a construction team. So they were awarded the project and then they contracted us as the design architect. So we were actually a sub underneath the engineers and then they had another arm, which was the contractor. So it was kind of a strange way to do it, but that was, it was a government project. It was a design challenge because we were working with different ballistic levels and I had never designed bulletproof walls before. So that was an interesting challenge. And it was great during the pandemic to have something that would get me out of the house. I had to go to construction site visits and it was also fast too. So during the pandemic, we started design and then construction started and we were editing and changing. And I was doing CA and doing site visits through the pandemic. So we, I forget, it may have been 2020, spring of 2022, we finished that project. 
That's really cool. Yeah, I've never I've never worked on a design build, and I was actually just talking to a friend about it. She's start, starting to study for the ARES, and she got to the chapter about design build, and she's like, I've never really heard this before. And I'm like, it, there's people out there who do it. So I'm glad that I got to hear your experience from it as well, because usually it's, yeah, I do the design bid build, or we've have a lot of projects, the contractors on board already from the beginning, which has been really, really helpful. Yeah. I think residential probably runs a little bit different than commercial projects where I have worked at a few different firms in just totally different sectors every single time. So I like the exhibit design firm I worked at, we did wayfinding in hospitals. I did a hot dog launcher when I was there, just different random things like a wiffle ball stadium, uh, some classroom spaces. So those small things to then huge laboratory buildings and labs are really interesting because they have all of this different science. So you do one lab that's maybe designed for, we did one where you just build a huge, it's called the ballroom. And then the robots do all the science in there. So you need to make sure there's a free space on the floor because the robots are running on tracks and they're picking up samples and moving them and dropping them around. So you have to design for that. That's one whole situation. I've also designed pools where they're dropping in pipes and then robots are doing tests on piping. It's all over. So each each project, I feel like I just am like, I approach with fresh eyes. I try to bring as much experience as I possibly can. Now I'm working in higher education. So I've been working on nursing schools, which have simulation suites and VR rooms where they're, they're learning techniques and practices. I think it's great if people want to get a lot of experience and work with a, diff- a lot of different teams, maybe jump to different firms that offer that. And then you can bring your experience of there are humans in this space that are going to be using it. I have to accomplish those basic things, but then you also, it's fun to learn about the specifics of the science of that one space or the specifics of that user and then design around that as well as, you know, the rest of like the regular building. Yeah. I think so many people don't realize how much you can do in the field of architecture. It's not just residential and like commercial restaurants and like strip malls and hospitals, but like, that's amazing. Just listening. Like I would love to see, like go to a job site and watch or see even the construction document set for something like that for like a lab. That's incredible because yeah, the field of architecture just has so many routes and pathways you can take. Yeah. I think in school, you know, you kind of think of like, oh, I'm going to design houses because that's what you know. Mm-hmm. And then when you get jobs, you also find too something to consider if if someone's an emerging architect listening to this, the market is always changing. So during the pandemic, I don't know if you experienced there was a slowdown in residential. I heard from certain people or some people said that there was residential exploded or healthcare was exploding. There was a ton of work there and we saw commercial slowdown where people weren't going into offices. So people stopped building new offices. So you can kind of see over the course of your career, different sectors ebb and flow. And that's also maybe a reason it's better not to niche down in one too early in your career, because if you're just building Dunkin' Donuts and then all of a sudden Dunkin' Donuts goes out of business, then it's good to be agile and know how to transition to something else. Well, Caitlin, this has been such a great conversation. I the last forty two minutes have gone by super fast. <laughs> yeah. um, I, can't, I can't. I also I like I have so many more questions. I even <laughs> wanted to like talk to you about AI. Which do you have any AI experience, or have you seen AI 
come into your field yet of where you're working? I think it's starting. I've definitely seen on LinkedIn, there's a lot of people experimenting with it. We use a lot of, we have data scientists, so they are doing more of like the kind of like mathematical calculations behind things and organizing things on charts. So there's a human behind that effort. But I think in a lot of space planning, AI might have a role. I have used the chatbot GPT or the chat <laughs> chat GPT to kind of mm-hmm. just experimented with that. But on a day-to-day basis, we are not using AI just yet, but I think that there's a lot of potential. So it's definitely, it's buzzing. I just, it'd be interested to see how we can integrate it in a little bit more of a common way rather than just these like mythical renderings, which clients may or may not respond to. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much for coming on from the Honeycomb podcast. And where can listeners find you? Oh my gosh. Yes. So they can find me on LinkedIn. So my name is Caitlin Brady. I'm sure it will be on this episode. So feel free to add me or connect with me on there. And then if you wanted to follow the podcast, it's Architectet. So the website is Architectet. That's Architect, E-T-T-E dot com. And then you can also find that podcast on Instagram at the same handle. It's on Spotify and it's also on Apple Podcasts. Perfect. I'll provide links in the show notes for everything so you can all connect with Caitlin. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. This is great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of From the Honeycomb. If you liked it, please give it a heart or thumbs up and click the follow button so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes. You can follow me on Instagram at From the Honeycomb Podcast, and be sure to check out the link in the show notes to sign up for my monthly newsletter where you will receive a spark of positive energy in your inbox. Thank you so much and see you next week.